Welcome to One Long Conversation. I'm Sonia. And I'm Colby. This is a podcast about spiritual awakening. Yeah, and through that we talk about art, culture, conscious parenting, and healing yourself so you can express and freely share your unique perspective with this world. This is a fun and informative conversation that we have daily, and we're sharing it with you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Hi. Welcome to One Long Conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Yes. Uh, this is a podcast that I have with my mom. Hi, I'm Sonia. Yep, and I'm Colby. We're the Wilders. That's right. I'm the mom. I'm mom. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're yep. the only one who calls me mom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what I feel like from... The last podcast that we did, where we were we were talking about yoga, mm-hmm. and we we got onto the subject that we were talking about the ego, and how we need the ego. And I actually, because I just finished two online healing sessions with this wonderful married couple, mm-hmm. and the ego came up. And the wife is a yogi and a yoga teacher, and so this actually came up in her session about the necessity, how we actually have to have the ego to be separate from the oneness. Mm -hmm. Because you can't perceive different, you can't perceive individually without ego. Yeah, totally. And then we got onto the subject of Advaita Vedanta Yoga, which is all about coming back into the oneness and how, but but through and the lineage of Babaji and Papaji and Muji, there's this talk about how the ego is bad. That we have to kill the ego. The ego has to go. Don't listen to the ego. Dissolve the ego. And I get all of that. And so we got into the subject of that in the last podcast. But what I, and, and we do this, we went off into another subject after that, or we went, we went, you know, out into another area with that. But what I wanted to state here for this podcast and for people who listen to this, we touched on this a little bit. I don't see anything adverse or negative about Advaita Vedanta Mm -hmm. or those three really beautiful spiritual leaders. Muji is an amazing, beautiful soul, an amazing person. I highly benefited from studying Advaita Vedanta yoga. I highly benefited from listening to satsangs and listening to Muji. It helped me to come into a very neutral space in my heart. And I feel like that's really the original intention of Advaita Vedanta Yoga is to help us to come into the zero point frequency of heart center mm-hmm. using breath and sitting in the silence. It, because what people don't, and this is what I was talking about with both of my clients as well. What I feel like most people don't understand is that meditation is actually a tool to come into the center to, it's a neutralizer to reset the mental and emotional bodies to clear them so that you can either clear the clutter because you're not manifesting clearly because we're here to manifest. You're not manifesting clearly. If your mental and emotional bodies, your thoughts and your emotions are chaotic, your life experience is chaotic. And that's what's going on with humanity right now. All this chaos is because we do not have clarity in our emotional and mental bodies. and meditation is that is coming to zero point heart center and feeling everything to come right into neutral Mm -hmm. so that you can get clear on what you are manifesting and then you can begin manifesting more clearly what it is you desire so i think there is a very big difference and and this is I mean, I feel like we touched upon this quite eloquently, but if this does need to be specified for anybody, I'm happy to specify it. I think there is a very big difference between the the thought of eliminating the ego because it is something that is negative and not allowing the ego to make all of your life's decisions blindly. And I really feel that that is the purpose of Advaita Vedanta Yoga if you utilize it in that way. So the, the whole distinction that we're making here is that it's, you 
you can't allow your ego to make blind decisions for you. You have to be aware of your ego. And and perhaps in, in some poor translations as this, this practice has been, you know, something that's been in human history for, you know, centuries, perhaps in some poor translations, things have come to mean uh, in, in modern day English when you're reading some of these books and some of these old texts, oh, I need to eliminate the ego. And, and obviously that's not possible. And that's, that's what we're saying here. But you definitely also need to be aware of your ego. And, and I guess this is where the, the language that we came up with that harmonize with your ego, come into a place of where you are understanding its patterns, you understand it, where it comes from, what it wants, because that'll help you not only make better choices for yourself, but also make better choices for everyone else around you too, in terms of how your actions affect everyone else. You don't want to, because when the ego gets to make all the decisions blindly, and this is a space that a lot of people exist in because they're unconscious, then oftentimes you end up hurting the people around you. You end up making decisions that drag your life into kind of a space where you're just kind of unconscious. You're kind of living day to day. I heard a wonderful quote uh, from uh, a YouTube video that I watched where a, uh, a holistic uh, psychologist was talking about um, sort of the, that little instinctual kind of voice in your head, you know, like you wake up and your, your first habit is to like, you know, grab the phone and look at that. Um, it's like, that's the voice of the ego there, the habit voice. That's the unconscious voice. It's the voice that says, I'm going to do this because I know it and makes me feel comfortable. That's the voice that you want to be aware of. You want to have a harmonious relationship with that voice, but you don't want to allow that voice to make every decision that you make because that voice could lead you to building up things, bad habits, that will lead you into living a life that you don't want to lead. So. This is the distinction. It's, it's not about eliminating the ego, and, and I don't necessarily feel that that is entirely the fault of uh, Veda Vedanta Yoga. I think that maybe this is just a practice that has been mistranslated, because it is very, very hard to translate Sanskrit to English. That, so hard. That is, that's the point which, and I was talking about this with the wife of the couple client, who were, they had separate sessions. She went first. Third dimensional yoga. Yoga from literally from the late 1800s when it started making a resurgence again mm -hmm. through Paramahansa Yogananda who, who wrote Autobiography of a Yogi and, and, and going through his lineage because Bikram Chaldhuri of hot yoga, Bikram yoga, they were cousins. Mm -hmm. And all of that and Iyengar, BKS Iyengar and all of the current yogi masters, you know, these, these sages and seers of modern day, 20th century and now 21st century yoga. Can there be, it's like gossip. It's like, it's like information is put out. And when it's put out through either word of mouth or it's written down and translated into different languages is definitely going to get distorted yes. because everybody has their own perception of the truth. It's just like, you know, people see an accident or they see some sort of tragedy and there are witnesses and then officers need to get everybody's statements and testimonies and they're going to find that everybody has a little bit different statement or testimony or maybe a grossly different statement or testimony because we all have a different perception. It's the same thing. It's how gossip starts. You start with one bit. You were sharing with me on the trail either this past week or last week um, about uh, this, well, gosh, I'm trying to remember what it is now. It's coming in. You said that there was, there was this original statement and then it got all blown up and then it ended up on the internet is this big drama. Oh, what was that? Oh yeah. I was talking about the, uh, the Pentagon's <gasps> disclosure of UFOs. That's what it was. Yeah. Specifically yes. the, uh, the ATIP program or as it's actually called OSAP. Uh, and Luis Elizondo and and his entire um, I guess media frenzy that that sort of honestly catapulted him into a place of being in the limelight uh, and and probably uh, heavily influenced his his uh, the amount of money that he was getting which because I had I had seen it 
in 2020 that the Pentagon released that the military was was actually seeing and working with ETs and their their uh, spacecraft technology. And you said, no, that actually went way. Pre- you said that went to 2017. Yeah. And, and it's not the disclosure that they put out officially is not that they're working with with ETs. That wasn't it at all. No, it was, it was it was sightings though. It was sightings. It was it was the first officially confirmed sightings by a US agency, the first publicly disclosed right. confirmed sightings. So this was a big deal to a lot of people because people have been waiting for a government the agency government to reveal. The government agency to finally reveal publicly that, that, yes, they do exist. Yes. UFOs exist. They have proof of them. They have footage. They've mm-hmm. seen them. They've flown with them, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. But what actually happened is uh, <laughs> the whole thing was kind of a, a failed uh, Pentagon program that was kickstarted by uh, U.S. Senator... Is it Henry Reid or Harry Reid? I can't remember. I, I think, think it's, it's Harry. I think it's Harry Reid. You think? Okay, I don't remember. It's don't one of either. those one of those names, Henry Reid or Harry Reid, and um, uh, a uh, basically a uh, a consultant, a Pentagon consultant who uh, wanted to start a program where they really dove into um, paranormal research and and UFO research, and what ended up happening is that they. They got millions of dollars of of Pentagon funding, and you know that's taxpayer money essentially, and they funneled that into a program. Oh, and there were there were several key um, uh, um, multi multi millionaires uh, who were also involved in the funding of this project. One of which was actually um, a very very high up figure in the um, um, uh, the Church of Scientology. Uh, Yes, which is just hilarious to me. And these are all people who have just had a fascination, like like one of the main guys, um, he's had a fascination. The entire reason for him pursuing wealth in the first place was so that he could he could learn the truth about UFOs. That was that's the entire reason why he he chased his his fortune. He wanted to hire people to discover the that's truth right. about UFOs. I read about this, but I read about it a while ago, but I'd forgotten the details. Yeah. So it was this collaboration and ultimately what happened is they um they uh, they set up shop at this place called Skinwalker Ranch, and I highly recommend that anyone who, because I'm I'm not describing this story in great detail, because my memory no, is, is that of a fish. But look you know, it up. Look you, it up. You have to look up. There's this amazing expose that a journalist did on this that they just put out this past year. That's what I saw a little bit of, mm-hmm. but I didn't dive into it. But you did. So good, and it it just blew up. And and really, what it exposed is. This is a human problem and it is a it's been going on for centuries. Translation of information is not direct because humans are not logical creatures, they're emotional creatures. And so the funneling of information through all of these different sources and I mean we see this in no clearer way than how our media works, how our news stations work to deliver information to us. I mean one of the key reasons why this situation got so blown up out of hand is because, like, one of the main women who, who was a journalist who worked to get this information out public, her, she had a goal, an agenda behind putting the information out. She, was, she is a writer for, I think it was the New York Times. And her entire lens is, I want to make the public believe in UFOs. Okay, that's great. I believe in UFOs. Many other people believe in UFOs. But when you're dealing with a subject like this, you need to be absolutely scientific. You cannot look at this from a perspective of trying to make someone believe one way or the other because what she ended up doing was leaving out key things and changing things to try and make the public see yeah. it from the perspective of, oh, UFOs are being disclosed, therefore they're legitimate. And the, right. And that's not journalism. That's um there uh the and the guy who uh the guy who uh did this the expose he had a, a brilliant way of putting this it is um oh, I can't think of the word right um being an advocate basically but he he had a great he had a great word to describe it but yeah you're basically advocating a side of something and journalism needs to be completely bipartisan completely non biased of course but we know you're that it's not out. it's not because the goal is not to deliver clear and concise information. The goal is to make money because at the end of the day, think about it. If you are somebody who runs a journal, any sort of journalist program, right? 
you have to pay bills. You have of course. families to worry about. You got to keep your station open. There's so many monetary things that you're tied up in. Your number one goal, even if at the very beginning it is, I'm going to deliver information, I have a passion for delivering information, your goal is going to shift from that to how do I keep my, my station open? I know. How do I Absolutely. keep my channel open? Well, I got to do whatever gets the most clicks. I got to do whatever gets the, the biggest title, the results. And in, in this case, with sort of the, the Pentagon UFO revelation, it just became like this this massive game of telephone because once the times released it all these other news stations were like oh this is a big story we gotta hop on this too and then names started getting changed around details started getting changed around and now you see this big like chain of information that is just completely blown out of proportion doesn't actually reflect what actually went on uh and and is just really totally speculation yeah yep and that's 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 gossip. Yeah. And that's that's happens. This is I feel like this is a key part of our evolution, our ascension as as a species on this planet right now. This is what is really we are becoming more conscious of as we literally raise our vibration in the most practical sense. Both brain hemispheres need to work in balance together and we have to we have to realize this in order to see how we've created this false reality that we're in right now mm -hmm. and it's being revealed to us and it's kind of being revealed to us dramatically right now, which is why all systems are collapsing right now. They have to collapse. You know, universe implodes and explodes and implodes and explodes. And that's mm -hmm. what it's, it's, it's imploding right now. And it has to, a portal just opened up right next to your, your head. Mm. <laughs> it has to. And we see this in all genres, in all topics. And yoga has been, you know, in yoga, not only do we see that Advaita Vedanta yoga, its origins are pure mm -hmm. and wonderful and how that's been distorted. You cannot kill the ego. You can't kill any aspect of anything. Nothing can ever die. Mm -hmm. It can only implode and recreate into something else. Yeah. Because that's universe. We see this in the financial system. We're seeing currency folding, imploding, and it will be rebirthed into something else. Sure. We're seeing this in all aspects. So what we've been observing in the world of yoga as we've been going towards 2020, the Mayan calendar 2020. 12, because the Mayan calendar is 13 months. The Gregorian calendar is 12 months. So the actual December 21st, 2012, is what in the Gregorian calendar was 2020. What we saw coming up is we saw the reveal of all of these so-called yoga masters were suddenly exposed as being pedophiles and sex predators. Mm -hmm. And it continues. It keeps happening. The, and we're seeing these yoga, these great yogis who started these franchises, et cetera, et cetera, being, you know, they're being exposed. They were financially backed by Coca-Cola and McDonald's and they were out for profit. Mm -hmm. So then you have to go in your, into your yoga practice. You have to go into your yoga style and then you have to ask the hardcore questions. How much of this is actually authentic? Yeah. What am I practicing? I know for myself as a daily yogi, I literally just had to go back to my daily yoga practice. I literally had to get rid of all of the teachings, all of the things that I learned in order to get my certification. And I had to go, what actually feels really true and authentic to me as a daily yogi? Yes. The breath. Okay, let's go to the breath. Let's go to the philosophy. What feels like it's authentically me in philosophy? What do I feel like is actually applying to me right here, right now as a yogi? The Bhagavad Gita mostly never resonated with me. There's wonderful aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So you take those aspects that really apply to you and support you in the now and the rest you just kind of put to the side. doesn't mean that the rest of it's bad. It just means that the rest of it's not applying to me right now. Um, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, what actually apply to me now and what, what's not useful and I'll just put them on the side because maybe someday they will be useful. We literally have to go back to that with everything in life. For those people that are Christian, you have to take aspects of the Bible that actually apply to you and help you to live more from your heart and serve humanity. And the rest, 
Let it sit to the side. Those people who are Muslim, same with the Torah, with the with the Quran. Those people who are Jewish, the same with the Torah. All of that. Absolutely. We have to do that with absolutely every aspect of life right now, so that we weed through what is distorted gossip and what is actually the root truth. Yes. Of yes. the philosophy. You. You have to be able to come from a space and this ties in excellently with our our earlier you know talk about the ego you have to come from a space where your goal is to always progress and progression is going to be different for for everybody but if you allow yourself to be pulled in a direction where you are plateauing you are moving backwards and then you're going to know what that means to you because it's different to everyone but you'll you'll feel what that means to you it means something different for me it it just comes down to this and and you know in in episode 1 i believe of this we we were talking about like not essentially throwing the the baby out with the bathwater for example when it came to public figures like gandhi um, oh yeah, and Martin Luther King Jr. Exactly, and, you know, and I, Michael Jackson, yes. like that. And you know, I did, uh, I did quite a bit more research um, just because I wanted to sort of fact check myself on, uh, on, on Gandhi and all that. And uh, the the Gandhi stuff is really serious. I mean, he was, you know, he was doing some some stuff that was really, really bad. He, um, from a lot of his followers. Uh, when they joined his ashram, they eventually ended up leaving him uh, because essentially what he was doing was he was uh, he was sexually molesting young women and girls under See, the guise of I it. have not dived enough out of out of what Hollywood put out in the Gandhi film starring mm-hmm. Ben Kingsley in the 1980s. Yes. Hollywood portrayed Gandhi as this great crusader and leader. I have not dived into Gandhi any more than that. Yeah, so, and so that I, tells my me that understanding I'm sur- was my understanding was that Gandhi was somebody who was uh, more of a misogynist figure and and while that may be true, it's definitely an understatement and after doing a bunch more research and reading some of the letters that his closest followers sent him is pretty I mean the man was like he was conducting these experiments where quote unquote experiments where he would sleep with women and young girls naked he would he would have them come into his his bed with him and and this is an abuse of power because he was he was to everyone else everyone around him he was proclaiming to be sexually abstinent you know sex is for him was a bad thing and and after reading of this it's very clear that he was just projecting his own his own uh disapproval towards himself of his his desires his sexual desires i did read that what you just stated, mm-hmm. I read that. He had his own. Probably around the time that you were born in the mid to late 90s, that that became public. He had his own niece who was 16 that years old I read. come and sleep with him. I read that. And, and yes. his, some of his followers describe like these women would like, they'd, they'd essentially enter shock after a certain point. They'd break down. There's one letter that one of his followers reads where he's like, this woman was such a joy before she came into your ashram and now she cries all the time. And how is that healing? What are you doing to her? You know, I read that. I remember there was some, one of his followers released the letters that were written about that. And I remember this had to have been in the late nineties. Cause I remember like I was postpartum mm-hmm. and yeah, they, they said, you know, um, new dark information about Gandhi has been made public by mm-hmm. by one of his one of his followers, his disciples. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know he'd had an ashram until that letter. He did came have out. an. Yeah, he, well, didn't he even was a know. full on yogi. This I did was not. His whole, I did not know yeah. he had a full on ashram. I was not aware of that. And when I read that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So, really? Like Gandhi? So the, wow. the, the point of all of this, though, and my original point when talking about Gandhi, you know, it, Gandhi was probably a rapist. It's probably it's most likely this man probably raped some of these women, you know, and. My my point from the very get go is. A, we cannot idolize any single figure that is put into the public because 
That's leaning too far in one direction. And if you idolize these people, you are bound to be disappointed. It, oh, it happens absolutely. all the time. Always. And, and second of all, we can't throw away all of the great things that, on, that Gandhi did as a humanitarian figure publicly for his people, right. standing up in the court of law against the British monarchy. These things, right. we can't throw away what those things represent. I, I, I believe that none of these figures, no public figure is a saint in my eyes, and no public figure is somebody who I am going to look up to as being the end-all, be-all, like, oh, you should be just like this person. That's wrong. Every, everybody is human, and we are fallible creatures. Humans are evil. They're gross. They do terrible things. They're also capable of amazing things, and humans will flicker in and out of these different states from a day-to-day basis because that's just how humans are. That's what the ego does. That's how humans are in third-dimensional perception of duality, and we came here to experience that, though. Absolutely. We descended to experience that. You know, the one thing that, and I I feel, and being a quantum healer and, and bringing clients into lives, and I'll speak in linear terms, past lives going way, 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 way back to more of the earlier times of humans on this planet, back to Atlantis, Lemuria, um, what we call ancient Egypt. It wasn't called Egypt, it was called Kemet. But we, when we learn about those times, because the Homo sapien race was literally an experimental co-creation of multiple galactic groups of almost like children of the demigods and the gods. And when you look at indigenous cultures going way back, they were they were worshiping the gods, the demigods, the stars, the planets. They were worshiping them and Many, many indigenous cultures were talking about space brothers and sisters. And we are in our ascension process right now, which is very accelerated since we're in the chaotic end times and beginning times between age of Pisces to age of of Aquarius. We are coming into a higher consciousness of realizing we're no different than the gods and the demigods that we've been worshiping for however many thousands or millions of timelines. Mm-hmm. They are higher aspects of us and we are lower aspects of them, but we're all equal. That I really feel from all of this experience now in my current life and from guiding all of my clients, I really see that this is this is what we are wanting to discover within ourselves is and this is the whole point of what what we intended as source before we came into this body to realize we are still all oneness having a different perspective we do not need to be worshiping anything outside of ourselves mm-hmm. we are light in the human form and so when we put People who take great chances in their life to create change, like all of the people we're talking about and more, it is just we wanted to come in to create great ripples in the collective. It doesn't make anyone like Gandhi or MLK Jr. or Michael Jackson or Oprah, or any of them any greater than anybody else. Mm-hmm. It just means that we wanted to come into those lives and make a bigger ripple. Everybody makes a ripple in the collective in their Absolutely. life. No one is different, but we also come in to experience our darkness because we can't yeah. create without it. Yeah, we, totally. It also, it doesn't, and I'm speaking in 3D human terms, it doesn't condone what these people have done no. or do, but we are here to be aware of it. And so we learn from it in order to heal it, in order to come into a higher consciousness. Okay, I can make a great change without abusing others. Yeah, this doesn't mean that you should adopt sort of like a nihilistic perspective of like, oh, well, I just shouldn't really care about anything. It's like, 
that's not the that's not that's not the message. The 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 whole point is that you are here to live in this life to be yourself and if your moral attributes that you feel ring really true to you vehemently oppose these characters, I know for me, that's definitely the case, then that's the life that you are meant to live and you need to act that out to the absolute best of your ability. Conflict is necessary. This is why we have these things. So, for this like very human war between good and evil and all that. Like, that doesn't exist outside of the human sphere, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do what you feel right here and now, because you are here and now. You, you, need, to, you need to act in accordance with your character and what you believe is true. And, and yet again, it's all about progression, and it's not easy. Progression is not easy. No, but it's, it's not, not supposed to be, to be easy. easy. It's not meant to be easy. Yes. We don't want it to be easy. We, this is why we create this the way we do. I was just talking with my clients online about how suffering, and that's the 3D condition, suffering is necessary for our growth. And what I was talking with the wife about is it's essential for you in your healing because she's, she's a cancer. She's very, very sensitive, highly sensitive. I said to her, it's necessary for you, and this is going to be challenging for you as a cancer sun sign, but to get comfortable with discomfort. Mm-hmm. And I know as a cancer, you want to be comfortable. You want to be in your hermit crab shell. You want to go to the bath. You want to go to the ocean. You want to be soothed. Yep. You want chicken soup for the soul. You want all of that. However, you're only going to grow if you come out of your shell, if you get out of the water every once in a while and feel what it is like to be uncomfortable because you're never going to be able to help anyone if you don't come out of your comfort zone to help them. And then I was telling the husband the same thing. And he said, oh, absolutely. He said, we only grow through discomfort. Yes. I said, so you have to get very comfortable being uncomfortable. That's why cold showers are important. Yes, absolutely. Because they build the immune system. There's a lot of things that you can do to sort of get your brain warmed up to that idea of of allowing yourself to be uncomfortable. And cold showers are are definitely a great way to start. Really, it just helps you notice and, 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 and understand and feel what it is like to be in that state of being. I know for myself, as a moon and cancer in, in its native house, I definitely grew up from an early stage um, being strongly um, opposed to, to discomfort. And no, you hated it. You hated like when we decorated for Christmas, back when we used to celebrate Christmas. You were upset <laughs> as an infant uh-huh. and as a toddler. You did not, those first two Christmases, you were upset that we decorated, that everything was different, that it changed. Yeah. Because you were perceiving more through the moon and cancer. Sure. Then, once you realized that there were fun presents that came with that, your third Christmas was like, oh gosh, I get presents. Okay, this is fun now. Yeah, it's, you just have to come to terms with the reality that in a world that changes constantly where change is the only thing that life guarantees something that you would always say to me from a very very early age in a world where change is life's only guarantee the best way to live a most fulfilling life is to just understand that your state from one day to the next is going to be very very different and you can't really predict it. You can't predict if you're going to wake up feeling not great one day. You can't predict if you're going to wake up feeling amazing the next day. You just have to allow yourself to come into a state of being where you can appreciate and accept that that is the reality of things. And honestly, that's the closest thing to happiness that we have as humans. And it's definitely the answer to having a fulfilling life. Oh, absolutely. The The thing with you is that, number one, your father and I knew that we were going to raise our sons, our boys, as healthy emotional humans. And that was, the, that was really the key remedy for you in the first, I would say, 
just under 10 years of life is you were having a hard time with change. Being an astrologer, I already knew what your chart was and I knew that you needed to mature into all that Aquarius you were born under. Mm -hmm. I knew that children express their moon sign more than the rest of their chart at first. I knew that your moon in cancer was grieving. And so we had a lot of box of tissues. That was back when I was into disposable things. We had a lot of box. I'm not into disposable stuff anymore because it's not environmentally friendly, but we had a lot of box of organic cotton tissues and we gave you a lot of space to grieve and to emote So you were upset that your father was decorating the apartment for Christmas. Uh, You liked Halloween for some reason, but you didn't like Christmas. You never liked Thanksgiving. You never liked Thanksgiving. You didn't like the meal. Yeah, I I could I couldn't tell you any of the reasons why I felt these things Did except for Halloween like, because that has persisted to this day and that's just because Halloween had an energy. Halloween that had felt an energy really that was cool. really fun. Um that. you didn't like Christmas and we were not Christian. We did not we weren't into the whole Jesus thing being a preacher's daughter. I was already over all of that. I'd already done all of that and neutralized that. For us Christmas was just a time for family and forgiving. And so we focused on that, but what we did was um, your father would put up the lights first. We learned literally from your first year of Christmas that because you were 10 months old for your first Christmas, you were you, you were 10 and a half months old. We learned that first of all, that your second year of Christmas, he had to put the lights up first so that you could get used to brighter because we lived in Portland, which is super dark. Mm-hmm. Then the tree came in and we were not we weren't doing. We never did a U-cut tree or anything like that because that was that was unhealthy. And did so, we do that at least once? Nope. We did a living tree. Oh, okay. That you got in a pot. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because I remember the green pot. We did the living tree okay. so that you could replant it. We did that, I think, three years in a row. And then we ended up getting um, an eco-recycled fake tree that we yeah. had for years. And and that was actually pretty smart. Um. Yeah, I like that thing. We we then he did the tree and then we let we left the tree for a day and didn't decorate it because we needed you to just get comfortable with the tree and then we let you mostly decorate it and the ornaments you couldn't reach at the top your father put up there. Yeah. And then he picked you up and you put whatever we'd put up on the top and he made um he made a flower no no no, he made a uh, he made a merkaba a star out of out of tin foil and cardboard, the Merkaba. Yeah, he made that, and then we had an, and then we got an angel also. And so one year you put that angel with the gold and the, we had an angel that was a topper, and then we had the Merkaba star. And so he let you put that up there so that you felt like you had more control. Yeah, I was I was literally just gonna say it's, <laughs> that's such a wonderful metaphor because for for humans or any any creature really, but humans because we're so you know. We have such developed egos. Uh, getting involved with change is the best way to release and make us feel like we are in control of things. You had to feel like you were in control. And what I would share with him is he's pretty much Aquarius. And so he's he needs to feel like he has some control. So we're going to let him do a lot of this. And then once Mars was born, um, you know, we were like, okay, let's see if if the next child feels this way at all. No, Mars was really into all of it because Mars, and we didn't know this when Mars was born, but Mars is an artist and loves all the artistic stuff and Mars loves decorating. Mm -hmm. So Mars was really into it. Literally from infancy, Mars was just like, oh, wow. I mean, Mars was like, what, two and a half months old on the, because Mars, Mars was born August, October 11th. And right. Mars was two and a half months old on the first, the first Christmas. Literally anything that you did, Mars would do mm-hmm. because Mars was addicted to you because Mars was twins in utero, lost the twin brother. And so you became the twin brother. And, and so anything that you were into, you were already, you were almost four years old by Mars's first Christmas, so you were already into it. So Mars was into it because you you were into it. Um, Kyan didn't have any adjustment because Kyan was the youngest and was just simply, okay, I'm just going to join the family and whatever it is they love. So he just loved 
all the holiday stuff because you already got it. None of you were into Thanksgiving because you weren't into Thanksgiving. So they didn't like Thanksgiving because you didn't like Thanksgiving. You didn't like the meal. And oh, you didn't like the food. Oh, you know what I didn't? Okay, I I remember I remember what I didn't like. I was trying to think about it. You know what I didn't like about Thanksgiving? (laughs) I know Thanksgiving is the most rigid, tradition-filled holiday that to me seems absolutely pointless. I it's not the meal itself that I hated. I liked the food. What I hated was having to sit down in a rigid fashion, hold hands with your family, say grace that I felt didn't mean anything no, at all. No, we didn't say grace. We just said what we were grateful for. We never said grace. We that were was pretty Christian. much grace to me. That was, <laughs> that was pretty much grace to me. I, well, you had to say something that you were grateful for. I, I hated Because that. for us and our family, Thanksgiving was gratitude day. Yeah, to see, and, and, and you I, didn't like that. I didn't feel that at all. To me, I, it was like, okay, they're gonna make. I gotta come up with something. That was the whole thing. Is Thanksgiving was out of all the holidays, Thanksgiving translated the most to I have to do this. To me, I have to do this because everyone wants me to do this, so I have to do this, and I hate having to do things. I, you, you want to get an Aquarius to do something just because everyone else does it? That's not the way to get him to do anything. No, you got to find a way to make it unique and original. You want to know what you liked about the meal? Guess what? There was only one thing you liked about the meal. What was it? Was it was cranberry sauce. <laughs> of course. That was number one. And that, it wasn't but sauce. There, there were, we actually made, we boiled our own cranberries. Cranberry sauce was number one, but there was a number two that I really liked. And that was mashed potatoes with gravy. You liked the gravy. mashed potatoes with gravy. Yes, with the cranberries on the side. That was creative. I know. And you, I liked that. You liked that. You liked the mashed potatoes with gravy and the cranberries. Now, Mars only liked one thing about that meal. And and just so that everybody knows, we never had the dessert, which I think the whole meal was dessert. The whole uh-huh. thing was just sugar. But we never had the pie after that big meal. Do you remember when we used to eat the pie? We had two pies. We had the vegan pumpkin pie, the tofu pumpkin pie, and the literally the minced meat pie. Oh, but yeah. the vegan pie. When did we the have the pie? Yeah, the minced pie. meat pie. Which I always was thought really that was good. such a weird pie. I was like, what the hell is going on with I this know, thing? I <laughs> know. It was, and I made it myself. Yeah. The raisins, the 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 apples, and the I spices. I probably have really liked it now, but I didn't and like I it And I used to make then. it with adzuki beans. Yeah, I remember so that. It was Itzuki bean mincemeat pie because mincemeat pie was traditionally, you know, it was mutton. Mm-hmm. It was literally meat, mutton meat that you put together with apples and raisins. Can you imagine the horrific microbiome in your gut from that combo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you put clove and cardamom and allspice in there and ginger so that your poor gut can start to kind of digest some of that horrific protein with hyper sugar combination in, in, in a pie crust, which is flour, water, sugar, and for a lot of people, eggs and butter. And you put all that in your poor gut. But when did we, when did we actually eat that pie? Do you remember? When did we eat? Oh, we, didn't we eat before? We yep. Ate oh, that was right. our lunch. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, I, loved, uh, I loved the pumpkin pie. We loved, loved the pie, pie the most. And mm-hmm. so that I would make for noon. Mm-hmm. So I'd make the pies the day prior, put them in the refrigerator and I would bake them in the morning and then they would cool a little bit and then you would have that at noon for yeah. lunch. And we would and then we used to make we used to have a tofu whipped cream mm-hmm. and we'd put that on the top. Your father loved this. This was his favorite. And uh-huh. I said, "Well, we all love the pie so much, so that actually should be the main meal and the focus." And Pumpkin is is a starch, but it's got a certain level of protein. You put tofu with it, and you got fat and protein and starch, and we're going to start our day with this. Yeah. Everybody loved that. The pie was the highlight of the meal. And then because your father and I really loved that traditional Thanksgiving meal, we made that vegan, of course, we would eat that around 6 p.m., so that was our dinner. Mm-hmm. You guys had already lost interest in the whole thing by that point. Oh, yeah. No, th- it combined all the things that I didn't like into one into one holiday. I had to do everything at a specific time. <laughs> I had to do. I had to say things that I didn't care to say. I had to sit in an order that I didn't care to sit in. Is all these little things that from a very early age I rejected. And then when I learned even more about Thanksgiving, I was like, oh, my God, this is just the most pointless thing Okay, ever. so and since we're on the subject of Thanksgiving here, mm-hmm. because this was all from change, you're not liking change. But mm-hmm. the thing about Thanksgiving then that we brought on because we originally homeschooled you. 
was then, of course, and since we are a multicultural, multiracial family with a strong foundation in indigenous bloodlines, Cherokee, possibly Cree, and on my side, Laplander, we had to then, of course, study the indigenous culture's annihilation and mm-hmm. that Thanksgiving actually is a celebration of conquering the indigenous nations in North did America. Start, did, did, did you... Tell us about that stuff pretty early. Very early on. And it was your father who is knows that he's Cherokee and possibly Cree, which was Uh a southern, I think, a southerly um, south of of the Cherokee Nation and the eastern Cherokee cousins. The Cree were the neighboring nation. He brought that in. Well, and that was very important that he did, because then it changed the way that we viewed Thanksgiving. We educated ourselves as a part indigenous family. Now, my indigenous family is not North American. My indigenous family is Northern Finland, Finnish. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't something that our our indigenous line through Nana's family, we weren't a part of that. Mm -hmm. But we had to honor that. We had to honor the indigenous culture. And you may recall this. This is eventually why I stopped celebrating Thanksgiving back Mm -hmm. in 2013. Couldn't do it anymore. Besides, I was also on a cleanse and I was done eating all that food stuff. I was already a longtime raw foodie by then. Mm -hmm. But I just couldn't continue to observe a holy day, putting my quote fingers up, that actually was originally celebrated as an, you know, a conquering of the people of that land so that you can have that land yourself mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And that's why I just stopped. And so Thanksgiving that for me then became a water fasting day. Yeah. Which it still is. You know, I, I really am definitely appreciative of how our family, as we, as we grew older conformed less and less to traditions and really just chose to make whatever holidays we chose to celebrate important and and unique to us that is really something that i appreciate good Mm -hmm. holidays holy days which is what they are for me are the earth cycle apexes the portals open Mm -hmm. solstices and equinoxes Mm -hmm. those are actual holy days because not only is that the earth rotating away or towards the sun? The season changes in an Ayurveda. We literally just went from the pitta element, the dosha of fire, fire, fire. We have now moved into vata, air, ether. You notice that everything is drier. We want to eat a little bit heavier, oily True. foods. Yeah. We want more warming foods. You love spice. You're going to want to eat more spice to increase the pitta in your body. Oh, it's a great time for me for food. I love It's a great food time for time. you for food. <laughs> I'm eating more ginger. That's the only spice that my body will allow anymore. I love spice, but the body's like, no, I can't handle that. Yeah. For me, it raises my pitta too much and I'm already so pitta dominant. Right. But uh, I do have a little bit of cinnamon sometimes in the cold weather and ginger is always a really great spice for me. Yeah. So uh, we want to eat more sour foods, put lemon in your water more, yep. eat more warming foods. You can do that on a raw plant-based diet. That's Those are the type of holy days that I observe. You already know I'm not into the Christian Judeo life. I, it, hey, if that's your thing, all the power to you. I was born and raised in that world. It doesn't work for me. Um, I what what we pulled you kids away from, and then eventually I took over because he stepped out, and I continued on that. Is we pulled you away from the capitalistic system, consumerism, marketing that, like a virus, took over the holidays of the planet. I think actually even more importantly than that, although that is extremely important, that's very important for us. I think what what the core of it is, is you really pulled us away from doing things for no reason. Because a lot of people- Because you just do it because it's tradition. Tradition. Exactly. Exactly. That, and this relates perfectly to what we were talking about earlier, that is the unconscious mind. Yes, you that's do the not programming. Want to live in the unconscious mind. We do it because my parents did it, and their parents did it, and their parents did it. You know, people have been asked who make like okay. Let's take an, for an example traditional cooking. 
somebody in their 20s is still making this particular pie. Why are you making that pie? Oh, because this is the pie that my mother and my grandmother made. This is my grandmother's recipe. Then you go back to the grandmother. Why do you make this pie? Oh, this is a traditional pie. This is a pie that my mother made and my grandmother made. Mm -hmm. What's in the pie? This is in the pie. A, B, C, D, E. Why is this in the pie? Because my mother put this in the pie and her mother put this in the pie. Yes. What is this pie doing for you? I don't really know. And these people are sick. Yes. This pie is making you sick, but you're making it because your mother did and your grandmother did and you do not deviate from tradition. Yes. We deviated from tradition because we became conscious. Why are we celebrating Christmas? I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. Who yeah. was he? I'm a questioner, which is why my father would constantly take me out of his his uh, Bible study classes when, when, I mean, and he was my teacher. My father... Pastor Wilder was my Bible teacher, and I questioned that. Why are you my Bible teacher? You're my dad. What does the Bible say? He would literally teach us the books of the Bible, and I would say, who were those people? I'm eight, nine, ten years old, and he's my teacher, and I'm saying to him, who was Ruth? He would say, Ruth said this. Well, who was Ruth? Well, Ruth was a messenger of God. Why? Who appointed her? Did you know her? That'll be enough from you, young lady. Why, dad? Why are you talking about, did you know Ruth? If you didn't know Ruth, then why are you quoting her? How do you even know she wrote this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then he would say to me, Sonia, would you step out in the hallway with me for a moment? Everybody, please read this certain passage of the Bible. And and I'm telling you, this became a routine for him to take Uh me out of the Bible class on a freaking Wednesday night on a school night when I could have been at home having fun. Uh He brings me out into the hallway and I literally was thinking that, oh my God, I could be be at home practicing my tap my tap dance mm-hmm. for my recital on Saturday because I got to sit in here and listen to my dad yak, 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 yak about something he didn't even know about. <laughs> so he'd bring me out in the hallway and he would say to me, why are you making this so difficult? Why are you asking these questions? Because I genuinely want to know, dad, why? And he would say, stop questioning this or I'm going to take you out of this class. Oh, please take me out of this class. Uh, no, you have to do this class. Why do I have to do this class? Because you need to learn the books of the Bible. Why? How is this going to pertain to the rest of my life? Dad, here I am, 10-year-old Sonia saying, Dad, is this something when I'm an adult that's literally going to make my life better, literally? And he would say, why don't you just sit out here in the hallway for a little while? Great, fine, wonderful with me. And then I learned that... I didn't have to sit in that dumb class and listen to him preach a bunch of BS. If I just questioned, 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 Mm -hmm. then he'd let me sit out in the peaceful hallway. Mm -hmm. So then it became a routine for me to do that so that I didn't have to listen to all that because I was like, I don't want to hear this. Mm -hmm. I'd rather sit at home and watch Brady Bunch syndicated reruns over this, Uh literally. And I found Brady Bunch to get boring after a while, but at least it was more entertaining than what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean about breaking tradition. Mm -hmm. Question, question, question everything. Yeah. Constantly. And I taught that to you three. Question everything. When you go to school, why are you learning this about history? That's why I didn't put you guys in public school. I put you at the Odyssey program. And the Odyssey program's foundation was also question everything. Yeah. Yeah. Some of um, some of the best... Uh, best is not a good word to describe them, actually. Um some of the most passionate religious people that I have met are people who have experienced a personal connection through an experience that they've had to God, and that has led them to whatever religion they ultimately find themselves to take the most meaning from it. And it's for that reason exactly. Because they've established a personal reason behind their belief that it pretty much gives them that foundation from which they can actually internalize the knowledge that they gain and act on it, usually in a way that actually helps to serve like humanity from the people that I've met. There are people who have had, you know, there are many, there are many cult figures who have had born again experiences who have turned out to be a horrible, abusive people, but it works both ways. Um, Some of the least passionate religious people I have ever met are people who 
have just had it taught to them or passed down by a family member. And those people usually end up being the ones who make the choice to either A, dissociate from that respective religion and find their own truth, or B, stick with it their entire lives and live a passionless, you know, horrible sort of existence where they're just kind of saying things that they don't actually even know if they believe in. Oh, no, it's programming. Yeah. It's, 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 it's looping programming. We're always running a program, but what program are you operating on? Because the brain operates on programs. And I, there are two typical preacher's kids, Mm -hmm. two types. The first type is the preacher's kid. And I know a lot of these people who are these preacher's kids, they go into the ministry themselves or they go to church and they just, they just continue that tradition. The second type is the type that my siblings and I are, the ones who it pushes us into a whole nother realm and we go into other religions. So my brother and I, when we finally got out from our father's house and we literally, we viewed it as an escape, we did and it was an escape. We went into Eastern religion and Eastern philosophy. Sure. We, we started studying Buddhism and Taoism. Mm-hmm. We found Taoism to be fascinating. We really, Buddhism, we felt like was, it, it was better than Christianity for us, but it had still had too much dogma uh, in I it. I do have a question actually here, because this is something I've, I just thought of. I, I haven't really thought of this before. So even given your, even given your upbringing, because I, the reason why I asked this is, oh, I, I know a lot of people who have gone down the pipeline of, I used to be a preacher's kid, but now I'm an atheist. Now I don't believe in anything. So why did you choose? to kind of stick within a a religious spiritual framework to some degree? Well, first of all, I've always been spiritual. So Mm. remember, Nana was always intuitive, empathic, and psychic and used those words with us. Mm -hmm. And she actually was presenting a spiritual and all-encompassing, oh, of course there has to be life on other planets. Otherwise, what an incredible waste of space. I believe that God is the allness. Um, well, if God created everything, then God created Hitler and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a purpose for all of that. So I had her as more of the voice, the sound of, of logic and reasoning and expansion for us. Mm. All three of us mm-hmm. did. You can tell me anything, kids, and I'll never judge you. Mm-hmm. I will always want to hear you and listen and learn from anything you tell me. The father didn't tell us that, but the mother did. Mm. So I had that contrast. I had a mother who would say to us, if you want to believe in nothing, that's fine. I just feel that that's very limiting Mm. to believe that there isn't a creator, an all loving energy that we are an extension of. I would just, I just feel that's very limiting. And maybe you should sit with that for a while and feel for that, feel that for yourself. Remember, she's Jupiter and Aquarius. Right. So she would, she would be like, I just don't see where there's any sense in that. Mm -hmm. So that was presented to me. Atheism was presented to me very early on because I grew up with hyper psychoanalytical parents who talked about everything. Yeah. So I, I literally was like, that just seems, that seems so fixed and definite, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's nothing. Well, how could there be nothing? That doesn't feel true for me. I pondered it for a while. I did have little moments of agnosticism where I was just questioning, 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 questioning. I never questioned God or oneness because I always felt that I was God and oneness. Mm-hmm. That felt good in my body. That felt real to me. Yeah. That was something I questioned literally from the time I was very, I was in a small body. Yeah. So, I mean, I was born in a higher conscious state and was already realizing literally from my birth, quantum jumping and conscious of it, conscious of my guides, talking with my guides and all these different aspects of myself that were above and came down into my head. And I was literally hearing them. I was seeing orbs. I was seeing ghosts and spirits. I could see all of these things. So 
atheism didn't fit into that paradigm for me because atheism just felt so disconnected. Mm. So I didn't need to go into that. Mm -hmm. What I needed to go into was a belief or a structured way of being that would support my experience, my reality. So we tried, Michael and I tried Buddhism. Mm -hmm. That still felt dogmatic. That felt too much one way this way. We tried Taoism. That to us felt way more expansive of there just is. And then I really threw out all of my, my questing we went through a lot. Astrology came in, and that was a language that we understood. Numerology came in. That was the, the logical structure of all of this energy and psychology and spirituality and belief systems. And then all of these other metaphysical new age things that came in, and then it was the deciphering of what's really the ego and what's really the reality and kind of the fun. There was a lot of fun in that. Yeah. The fun and the play and all of that. And then I really just came to the conclusion that we just are. And that we have all these different tools that we can, all these different lenses that we can look through to perceive through, but there really just is. Yeah. And it was yoga that brought me to that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why. And yoga is literally a lifestyle. It's a way of being. It's, it's not a belief system. Mm -hmm. Now there's Hinduism that aligns with yoga, but like I dove into Hinduism and I was like, yeah, again, there's more dogma. Mm -hmm. Dogma, am God. Mm -hmm. And when you flip dogma, am God. Well, I am God. Therefore, I am. I am. I am. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then we there, there's zero point right there. Yeah. And when you're looking at it from the dimensional aspect, that's 4D. I am. Okay, so I am, but then that gets boring and then we're going to go into <laughs> yeah there's you come back into zero point i am okay this is wonderful but now i want to create so let's go out into 3d maybe you're going to go into 5d maybe we're going to go to 60 maybe we're going to go into 2d it's all about having fun creating going into your darkness going into your light yeah yeah absolutely that's why mm-hmm that's how i've come into right here right now at chronological age 54, 5, 4 personality of Sonia Wilder. That's how I've come into where I'm yeah, at. That was actually what got me interested in religion. I was very like, I grew up mostly influenced in sort of an anti-religious way. And yeah, we were not religious and we were no, not proponents I, I, of religion I would say at that all. I was very anti-religious. I would say that I had a very negative viewpoint of religion we, for quite some time. Well, because both your father and I didn't have positive religious experiences growing up. And so we literally we were coming from that that paradigm and we were we were bringing in more science and quantum physics and that into your world. That was much more of a focus for you. And free thought. It was. But Go into nature. Know, it's religion is all it it just it always popped in. It was my first really positive experience with religion was that book on uh, the story of Siddhartha that you had. We wanted uh, to present that to you. Also, one of the reasons why I mean you were partially raised by my parents. And they are super hyper intellectual Christians. Yeah. Everything, I, there's nothing I, emotional about their Christianity. Yeah. No, that's so not. So that that's, was presented that's, to you. But that's not, that didn't have a positive influence on no, me. No, it didn't. And so that's one of the reasons why Christianity had a negative connotation for you oh, is for that sure. you, yeah, had, yeah. you had parents who didn't have a positive religious experience growing up, and you had grandparents who are intellectual religious. Figures yeah, in there your was life. no soul in that. I, no, I wasn't, no. What what really what really kicked it off for me? I was always curious, but what really brought me into a space of curiosity without judgment is after I actually un, I actually had a zero point experience, and after that point. After that point, that was when I really started to find the soul and the feeling in religion. And then I, after, when I studied religions, all of a sudden, I could translate all of their words into that zero-point experience. And that was when I really started to take more of an interest in the Bible. That was when I really started to take an interest in the Bhagavad Gita. 
um, in the Torah and the Quran and, and, and my readings, I found, I found a lot of, a lot of truth. There was a lot of, and, and it all goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, just over time, mistranslated truth. But when you have felt the source, you can actually, you just, it just translates in front of your, in front of your eyes. And then you're like, and I've had some wonderful conversations with Christians about this too. A couple Christians that have kind of rediscovered it. There's one that um, I work with who is, uh, he started out as an atheist and we've had some wonderful philosophical discussions about this because he's come into Christianity uh, on his own accord. And I find that a lot of times what I hear from these religions, you know, there's, there is a soul behind it. Oh, its original intention is all soul. Yeah. It's again, just like with the theme of this podcast, is this particular one is the, the distortion of the core through diverse perceptions. Through, through ego, really. Through ego. Yeah. That it turns into gossip. I really do feel, and I have to feel it because I cannot trust the, the mental body. I can't trust the information that we've been told. I have to feel it. I feel that the original intention of the thoughts, the philosophy, the beliefs of what the ascended masters actually came here to teach, which is what all of these religions are offshoots from, the original intention is find your truth within you. You are source incarnate and you are here to love yourself and to share your love with others. Absolutely. That is the foundation, the core truth of all religions. The goal of all of these is to get you to a point where you actually experience I am. Yep. All religions are this. All of them are truly. And what we are what we are experiencing, what we are seeing today is just a distorted echo yeah. of that. And there's a lot of dogma in that. And, but this is the beautiful process, again, of ascension is coming back into that fourth dimensional zero point core center. That's where you're going to find your truth. Yeah, absolutely. Is in zero point fourth dimension heart center and yeah. feeling it. And that's what's brought me back to. But we love. We love the journey through the distortions to come back to here because we learn through the distortions. Yeah. We learn through the distortions. We just, we have to stop judging the distortions. We have to stop judging the gossip. We have to, we do, we have to stop judging. It's the judgment that keeps us in the distortions off of our center. It's the judgment that keeps us from finding our way back to our heart. And when we stop judging then we can understand that the journey into the distortions is necessary for us to then find our way back to the center. Hey guys, thank you for joining us for the last episode of the first season of One Long Conversation. Uh, We're going to start the next season next week, so we have to start recording new episodes, and we have a lot of cool things planned. We're going to do more planning for each episode and each episode is going to be more centralized around one core concept or one idea um so it should be a little bit more organized and we're definitely excited to start bringing uh, some more focused topics and and really dive deeper into some specific things on each episode uh, if you want to find out more about our community you can join our patreon group uh, the link to that is going to be through our anchor page anchor.fm slash one long conversation And uh, we are super excited that we are doing this, that you guys are here with us. Stay tuned in. We'll see you next episode.